What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ladies Let's Talk About Sex podcast. I'm your host, Felicia, and I'm a lady talking about sex. And this week, we have a very special guest with us. We actually have a pediatrician, Dr. Tessa. Dr. Tessa, do you want to introduce yourself and maybe let everyone know what you've been doing over this COVID quarantine situation and how you've been blowing up on TikTok? Because I'm super excited to have you here. Well, thank you so much. I am so excited to to be here with you. Uh, yeah, so I uh, am Tessa, and I go by she, her, hers pronouns. And what in the world have I been doing during quarantine? I have been uh, taking to social media, like you said, and uh, doing TikTok as well as uh, Instagram, and I'm starting some YouTube. But uh, what I'm doing is answering teen health questions about, well, what initially started out as sort of just some puberty-related things quickly turned into teens asking some deeper questions and things that they weren't necessarily comfortable asking someone in person. So my platform has sort of turned into um, a body acceptance and uh, talking about different varieties of genitalia and questions about puberty and questions about sex. And I feel like the beauty of what I've been doing is that I have presented myself. I am a pediatrician and I am an authority on this topic and everybody doesn't know me. So it makes it a lot easier for them to ask these questions to someone who they trust, but who won't necessarily make them feel embarrassed about these questions. So that is what I have been up to (laughs) during quarantine. No, I think it's amazing. And it's something that I wish I even had when I was a young, you know, teenager, because I think everybody remembers their, you know, pediatrician appointments, even in the early stages and later stages of puberty, and your parent typically comes in with you. So there's not always that luxury of like being able to ask all of those like nitty gritty questions. And I think even as a young adult now, I kind of forget how awkward and uncomfortable and how stressful puberty is, because in the moment, we're not really equipped with all the information um, that's happening with our bodies. So I'm so excited. I found you on TikTok. I am such a big fan. I think it's so cool what you're doing. And I think it's also so great that you're um, a medical professional doing this because, you know, TikTok is a beautiful place, but it's a beautiful place for misinformation. So Mm -hmm. I'm really excited today that we're going to get to talk about like puberty and misinformation surrounding the topic, because I think a lot of people even as adults or even parents don't really have enough information to provide their children with an understanding of like what's going on in their body and like what to do. So I kind of want to start off with like any stories or any questions that have come up that you were just so astonished by. Okay. So you mentioned TikTok and, and first of all, this was absolutely foreign to me six months ago. I had no idea how TikTok worked or um, what information was out there. And as I picked up in popularity, I kept getting this question over and over about periods. And specifically, there is some fad video thing on TikTok that 
people, it's an absolute myth, but that your period comes from cutting your penis off once a month. Have you seen this? Yeah. So I still, even though I've made videos on it, I still get that question. Is it true? Or, you know, then people feed into that insecurity or that doubt and say, oh, you must have had yours removed at birth. And I mean, there are people who are just out there perpetuating this rumor, um, but you, it speaks to the power of misinformation and where people get that information. And, and I think that um, I've just been in a unique position to be able to receive some of these questions. So that's, um, that's one of the big ones that just absolutely baffled me. And you would think that there are other places to get that information, even as far as, you know, other forms of media, movies or TV. Um, but I think it just, it speaks to the power of social media. And no matter what you think you understand about things, when you're learning about your body and about the changes it's going through, and someone just gets in there at a vulnerable time and, and sells you something that's absolutely false, um, it's easy to believe that. So um, that's probably my biggest, strangest uh, myth that I've continued to debunk, for sure. Um, yeah, I think that's probably um, the biggest one. But Yeah, definitely, you know, interesting, to say the least. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't really know who can logistically even make that type of claim but you know the internet's a very interesting place <laughs> absolutely lots of information out there <laughs> so you kind of spoke about social media and how you know if someone comes in at the right time with the wrong information it can really um dictate a certain perception that you have about your body or about puberty or even about the opposite sex body or maybe if you've never seen if you didn't have like the opposite sex sibling you may be really easily manipulated to believe certain things. Are there some specific sites or maybe just social media in general that you say perpetuate these types of understandings? It's, it's difficult because um, I do think that um, sort of just the way we are about puberty and talking about these sort of not taboo necessarily, but these uncomfortable topics, um, the misinformation is everywhere. And it's no one clear source of evil. It's parents who maybe also didn't get appropriate or accurate health information. Um, it's peers uh, who maybe are out there to convince you that yes, your period comes from cutting off your penis, or I heard this on the internet. Um, so I, I don't want to make out um, any social media platform or website to be the main culprit. I think it's more us as a society that just pushes these topics under the rug and from that, it naturally leads to the opportunity for misinformation out there. Um, and, and I know, you know, we also talk about um, sex ed and in schools as well. And I do think that the way we try to teach about 
um, puberty, about the body changes, about sex. And by not being explicit, by not speaking to the curiosity, the natural curiosity that exists during this time period for, for teenagers, um, that's not doing anyone a favor. You know, we think by not talking about it, we're not going to ruffle any feathers. But, but the reality is that kids want to know this. Teens want to know this information, and they're going to try to find it somewhere. And that just leads them further down the ro- the road of of misinformation. You know, there are so many ways. Uh, TikTok. There are many people who post misinformation on there, um, on on internets. Plenty of credible websites out there, but there are also plenty of false ones as well. And so, again, not one you know necessarily resource in particular, but um, that that contributes to to misinformation. But I think it's us as a society um, that makes that misinformation so powerful um, by not being more open and honest about things that it, it allows misinformation to thrive. No, absolutely. And I love that you spoke a little bit about sex ed or the lack thereof, um, mm-hmm. because I know you're in the States and I'm in Canada and I, we can both kind of state that the government doesn't properly mandate sex education uh, nationwide. I know in the U S it's like um, per state and then per yes. county, I think. Um, So it gets even more particular in that sense. And then in Canada, it's provincially. Um, And it's definitely something that needs to be way more developed. Um, But you kind of spoke a little bit about, you know, perpetuating the cycle of misinformation. But could you maybe note some, like, other, um, like, negative repercussions from the lack of information regarding puberty and even sex ed? Because I think, like, the you know, not having sex ed or not having safe sex, um, ed, you, you won't have that understanding, but I definitely think there's a lot more that we can talk about. Yes. So, um, for instance, I have had, um, a number of people ask about, uh, truly the benefit of condoms and are condoms necessary for anal sex. And I think that in particular is an approach of, people avoiding the discussion of anal sex or something that's generally more male to male um, and saying, well, that's, that's socially wrong or socially unacceptable to talk about. So we're going to avoid that topic. And therefore that leads young men to not understand how sexually transmitted infections are transmitted um, and to not use a condom. Um, Just by avoiding that particular subject, uh, it leads to more uh, easily spread uh, sexually transmitted infections. So that would be one specific information, or that would be one specific uh, instance of where we don't avoid it and actually leads to harm. Um, Other types of misinformation, um, things like, and I, I think we'll probably, we'll talk about this more in a little bit, but um, things like tampon use and not being able to use that until you've had sex or um, until you're married, uh, which leads to young women feeling, um, or young, young individuals who have periods to feel uncomfortable um, about their body. Um, you know, tampons can be very 
liberating and for someone to not be able to use a particular thing because they have been told that it's um, not appropriate uh, doesn't do anyone any favors people feel horrible about the way their vagina looks or their vagina smells or the discharge that comes from their vagina um, and I think that we're getting to be a little bit more comfortable talking about some of those things um, in peer groups, but still it's not something that's taught from in, in sex ed um, or uh, in, uh, in schools. And it's a natural part of our bodies, but it is harmful if we ignore it because it leads to insecurities and um, discomfort in your own body, uh, feeling shameful, feeling ashamed about your body. So I think those are some specific things I can think of, of ways that we don't talk about something that is essential and it can lead to, to harm for sure. No, absolutely. And I think a few things to even note in relation to men um, are this, this notion that we have that like boys are more sexually liberated or active than women. And a lot of men either feel that pressure and then feel like they aren't sufficient enough because they don't want to have all this sex or they take it to another extreme and then it becomes like this form of toxic masculinity where they feel entitled to have sex, which then perpetuates the cycle of, you know, sexual violence and sexual abuse. And it not only affects the men negatively, but it also affects the women. And we're talking from like a very heteronormative standpoint, but I also think in relation to um, like male identifying individuals in the LGBTQ plus community, not even recognizing this community in sex ed perpetuates and exasperates the like statistic that, and it varies from province to province or state to state, but mm -hmm. the suicide rate in the LGBTQ community ranges from like 40 to 50%, like more likely to commit suicide from a wide array of, you know, reasons but I think that not providing students with this understanding that this is a normal thing and this is widely accepted there's nothing wrong with you it's just adding to that statistic which is like not what we're trying to do at all I um, think you're absolutely absolutely correct and you also mentioned uh sort of the the broader acceptance of sort of masculine sexuality, but, um, and, and you see this all the time in, in movies about, you know, male erections, or people can kind of joke about those things a lot more easily than we do about female masturbation, or it, it, just even to the, to the point you were talking about hypersexuality, hypersexualizing masculinity um, and that's one more way that we say oh guys guys masturbate um, guys get erections it's out there but we don't talk about the female part of it as well so no absolutely and I think puberty and like people's understanding even now to date you know encompasses a lot of um, physical changes like you know the development of the genitals and the development of the breasts and uh, bodily hair and all that great stuff but I feel like as we're moving great stuff all that great it. stuff it's it so is fun. great it's you know what as an adult you know I'm a fully developed young woman it was a very very awkward time in my life but it's just so cute to watch little teenagers go through it because you just know they're going to come out as like you know whatever the analogy you want to use like a beautiful flower or like you know a, a, a young you know 
person, whoever they want to be and however they want to present themselves. But I think the awkward stages, it builds character, you know? It really does. <laughs> it solidifies friendships. I just, there, are, there is so much to come from, from that awkward, vulnerable state. <laughs> Absolutely. But I feel like we kind of forget to mention the changes that happen psychologically um, mm -hmm. when people are developing. Um, and I really don't know much about the changes. I remember being a very, like, angsty and kind of angry teenager. It's very unlike my personality now. Um, but I was <laughs> super okay. angry at the world for some reason. <laughs> and there has to be some type of explanation for that. You know, um, and I wish I could share my own personal stories because my puberty was many more years ago than yours was. But there are definitely, um, so the hormones that drive the external changes in our bodies during during puberty are the same hormones that cause some mood changes as well which is why you know you might feel a little bit more um oh emotional at times but the bigger things that are happening are actually in the brain and solidifying so there's um the limbic system so the, the sort of the system of the brain that uh, controls emotion actually is being fine-tuned and is hyperactive during puberty. And so um, it leads to a lot of the emotional anger outbursts, um, the reactions that seem to be disproportionate to the, the situation. Um, but there's actually a reason that, that teenagers go through that sort of... Um, compulsive, um, impulsive uh, period in their lives. It's because of the, the part of the brain that's specifically developing and changing. But um, the other thing to know about puberty is from a, a um, so the other thing about puberty is from a, an emotional psychological standpoint, you go from thinking very much like you are a part of a unit, like you are a part of your family, to seeing yourself more as an individual and seeing yourself exist as an individual in this greater world. And that, in a sense, is a huge, one of the biggest transitions that you will ever experience as a, as a human, as a person, uh, is during that puberty time when we know from early adolescence to middle adolescence to late adolescence, you will go from thinking like you are a part of a, of a family to being an individual. And that is a scary uh, transformation that comes with a lot of other emotions and feelings. It changes your relationships. It changes the way you view peers. It also obviously with some of those hormones in there, changes the way you view a romantic partner. Um, so there are so many other parts of, uh, so many other changes that your body is going through that are not necessarily external. They're more than your genitals changing. They're more than your growth spurt, but they are also the way you view yourself in this world. They are the way you react to situations that are out of your control. They are 
um, the way you view your relationships with others, all of these things are undergoing change and it's huge. It, um, it shapes the way you, uh, it shapes who you become as an adult. And, and we don't, I think necessarily give that enough credit. And, and that is partially why I think, and you think as well, that teens deserve honest, accurate information based on whatever questions are coming up about their body changes. I think there's a tendency to treat kids, teenagers going through puberty like, like their children and to not give them all of the information that they might need. But I think we're discrediting their capability to process this information. They're curious, they're learning. And, and I think the more we treat them like young adults in the information we share about sex and their bodies, the more prepared they're going to be as adults. No, absolutely. I feel like providing that source of understanding and even it wasn't really something I thought about, but we forget how important the brain is in all of this because Mm -hmm. even though our body's changing, our brain is telling our body that it needs to change. So it's like, it's, I think it's a really um, underdeveloped, like understanding from at least like an educational standpoint, I'm sure the doctors know and, you know, the professionals have an understanding, but um, I I don't think teachers know that this is like what's going on. And and I don't think they understand how to explain that to um, young adults kind of going through that process. Do you know what other time in like an individual's life where their brain is like this hyperactive? Is this like in infancy basically? Yeah, that would definitely be a time, you know, we also, um, we do know that the neurons, so the cells that make up our brain and uh, are responsible for all the signaling that goes on, the brain does develop all the way through 25. So that's kind of the, the reasoning behind the recommendations of refraining from, you know, heavy alcohol use or drugs while those synapses are still developing. So the idea that we are we are still having a brain formed throughout that time period is is already fundamental. We know this, but yes, during infancy not only is the brain growing, but the skull is growing exponentially during infancy as well. And then during adolescence when things are ramping up again, we know that limbic system that um that emotional sort of uh, network is also very active and and it's it's still developing so we know that the brain continues to develop particularly the frontal cortex um into you know your your early 20s okay no that's definitely good to know and i don't know if you necessarily have the answer to this i didn't actually plan for this question but now that we're talking about the brain i'm curious because at least during my puberty experience and even as a young woman and, you know, I'm in the process of dating and experiencing that there's this whole connotation that men's brains develop at a slower rate than women's and men are less mature than girls. Now, is that a social construct? Just like, tell me the truth or is there some kind to this? <laughs> tell me the truth. <laughs> tell me the truth. <laughs> okay. So, in the sense that we know that puberty 
So the external markers of puberty, the breast development, the pubic hair, the penis and testicles growing, we know uh, that females start that, so those who are born with female parts, start that puberty process a little bit earlier in general than those who are born with male body parts. We could extrapolate that to the brain development as well and some of the psychosocial uh, aspects of puberty. It's, it's quite, um, so it's easy to say in puberty, you can see some of that. Oh, you tend to see those with female body parts developing crushes a little bit sooner than those with male body parts who are more into the guys and everything, uh, hanging out with their friends. But um, when it comes to early adulthood, I don't know about um, the difference in... <laughs> Am I just dating dummies? Is that what, I'm just that gonna, what happened? <laughs> I'm keep my expertise to the puberty time period, and um, maybe you can, you know, talk to a counselor or figure out okay. this. <laughs> I'll talk to my therapist. That might just be a me problem, but that is something that is I know. Like an issue. I, yes. um, I just want to know if there's any science behind it, or if we just kind of are just making excuses for these, these poor little men. Oh gosh. You know, I wish I had the actual answer to that. I do not know in adulthood. I do not know what causes that discrepancy. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> Honestly, I don't either. I don't think anyone does, but no. you know, we can't, we can't move, move from that. Um, but I guess circling back to puberty and kind of your understanding of it and you spoke a little bit about your own experience with puberty and like how even now and even like 10 years ago when I was going through puberty you know we have evolved and we have progressed to a little bit more of an inclusive and um, educated understanding of it if there's anything or any one advice that you would give someone about puberty or something you personally wish you knew what would you say I would say don't feel bad about your curiosity. Uh, don't feel ashamed about the questions that you have. Um, I Again, this is a time period where so much is changing and it is, it is natural. It's just natural to feel awkward or to compare yourself to others like that is that is just a part of of growing up and becoming an individual is that you do compare yourself to others um, but don't feel bad about your curiosity um, and and it's easier said than done but no question is a bad question so don't be ashamed to ask a doctor or someone else that you trust if you have a question about some of the changes that you're going through. Again, this is it's easier said than done, but just based on what I can remember from my puberty <laughs> so long ago, um, and, and what I still see, I identify with so many of the questions that I get. I can remember thinking so many of these things as I was a 
teenager. And unfortunately, I did have some people to talk to, whether that was peers or my mom wasn't. We talked a little bit about periods, I suppose. But um, but don't be ashamed of your questions. It's natural to be curious. And um, it's part of being more comfortable, I think, in your body is is putting some logic to, to some of the changes that you're going through and to knowing pubic hair, everybody gets it or um, your labia are just fine. I mean, there are so many, so many questions that, that people have and to know that it's okay to ask and that those questions can lead to acceptance, I think is really important. Absolutely. No, I love that. And before we go, I kind of want to do like a very quick like myth busters for some very common puberty questions. So maybe this is we can my favorite try this thing. like a little rapid fire. Um, hey. We'll do a few of these. Um, let's start with um, it's not normal for boys to release semen in their sleep. True or false? That's false. I mean, it's totally normal. It's absolutely normal. A wet dream. Okay, yeah. perfect. But you know, uh, females can get have wet dreams as well. Really? Mm-hmm. Is there like um, the same, because women don't ejaculate, so is it just like extra discharge or yes. how does that, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, this is a good one. A female cannot get pregnant if she has sex during her period. Okay. Technically, she can. Um, the chance is very, very, very small, but semen can live inside the vagina, inside the uterus for up to five days are some of the statistics. And so there is a very small possibility that having sex on the period can lead to pregnancy, but it's very small. Okay. Uh, this is a good one. A female who uses a tampon loses her virginity. Yes. Okay. I was yeah, hoping you would say this one. Uh, no, <laughs> no. First of all, what is virginity? I am more, I am on the train that it is a social construct. Um, it, you know, there are so many ways to share intimacy and having a tampon inserted absolutely has no relation to sex it is simply helping out with your period i mean it it there so the issue with that myth i know you wanted to do rapid fire but um i'm slowing it down is that the the idea that i i don't think many people the people who created this myth i don't think they understand what a hymen is um and and that's a totally different topic, but it's still possible to put a tampon in um, even if there is still hymen tissue there or if there's not. I mean, you could, it has no, they are two totally different topics. Sex, virginity, tampons, totally different. No, you can Absolutely. use a tampon. Yeah. For sure. And I think while we're on this train, I would love for you to give the analogy that you used on your TikTok about the hymen as a curtain, because I think that that was like the best explanation that like puts everything into context for people. So like people think that the hymen is like a shield. We have no. these magical virginity protectors. No. <laughs> and when you have sex, 
<laughs> it's this thing you have to conquer. Like, <laughs> yeah, not at all. Um, so the hymen, I, I did use this analogy, like, think of curtains blowing in the wind in the breeze of an open window and they're off to the side and they move around and that is kind of like the hymen tissue i'm doing this with my hands right now but it's just <laughs> it just it's just an extra kind of flap of skin and it can move it can stretch and it can tear um, but everyone's hymen looks a little bit different but it's basically just kind of the curtain that surrounds the window um, and it's it's <laughs> uh, definitely um, made out to be a much bigger deal than it is it's it's not a shield it is not some uh, gate or uh, something that that shuts things out of the vagina. It is absolutely just just some loose tissue hanging out around the edges. That's no, absolutely. And this could be a whole. This could be like a four part series on the podcast of just like debunking all the BS that people. And when I say people, I mean men have <laughs> made claims about uh, in regards to the vagina. And if you look at the studies, half of the time they didn't even check out cadavers or actual vaginas because that's like, oh, a vagina, you can't look at that. But let's just pretend like we know what it is, uh, even if we've right. never seen one. So anyways, let's l- let's get back to rapid fire because we could just go. Yes, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll do maybe two more. Okay. Um, oh, this is a good one. A penis has a bone in it. No, but you can fracture your penis, um, but there is no bone in your penis. Um, it's, it's some spongy tissue that when blood is sent there, the penis sticks up, an erection, yeah. No magical bone. And no then, magical bone. Oh, this is my favorite one. Uh, the size of a male penis is related to the size of his hands or feet. True. No, false. Absolutely. <laughs> You're like, that's right. That's how I picked my next boyfriend. Like, I know. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> this is fact. Uh, no, it is absolutely, absolutely false. And you know what's funny? Um, you know, you talk about lack of studies done on the hymen. That one has been studied extensively. The hand comparison, the foot comparison to the size of the penis. One, who cares? And two, yeah, it's been studied a lot and there's no connection. <laughs> like invest your studies somewhere else. Like let's right. figure out how this vagina works because we still don't know. Uh, that is true. <laughs> if all of the resources that went into comparing hand size to the penis went into even a small portion, understanding more of the female genitalia, we'd be better off. But oh, yep, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Anyways, that's another that's another topic. But I guess as we close, I would love to hear just some resources or some suggestions you would have for like teens or even young adults listening that want to support teenagers or support, you know, their nieces and their nephews or even their children um, listening to the podcast. Where would you suggest they go? Um, where should they look for credible and science based information? Sure. Um, and, you know, I, I would say also it's, it's absolutely fine if you are uncomfortable talking about these things with your kids. I mean, it's, it's natural, but 
I would strongly suggest that you point them in the right direction or give them someone else, another adult that you trust that they can talk to. Because again, not everyone's going to be comfortable talking about masturbation or pubic hair or all of these things or sex. What parent really wants to talk to their kid about sex? But it's going to be there's going to be lots of questions and you want to make sure that they're, they're going to someone that you trust. So first of all, I would say it's okay if you're uncomfortable, but, but make sure that they have, they know that their questions are valid and it's okay to have questions and, and maybe say, Hey, aunt Petunia or whoever is like really into this stuff. Um, someone that you trust. So that's what I would say to that. But when it comes to finding credible resources, um, so, if you wanted to know how to change the oil in your car, you would not click on a website that says, Talk, Dr. T tells you how to change the oil in your car. One, I mean, first of all, I have no idea, but I'm like a doctor and this is not my area of expertise. So what I would recommend is for anyone looking for medical advice, look to those places that have the appropriate experts on that subject. And so whether that's looking for a, a peer review or a doctor uh, website or um, a TikTok account, look for either doctor or MD or DO, because those are two uh, degrees, so MD or DO, or looking at websites, there are some really wonderful websites that are put out by different hospitals or um, clinics. And, and I do think if it's a, a medical facility, a, 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 a reputable uh, hospital system, I think those are also great, reliable websites for uh, medical advice. And, and I could give some, I mean, we could probably do many more segments on looking into specific ones that don't fit into those categories that are still reputable, but that's kind of my overall blanket statement. Mm -hmm. Look, look to those sources that have the appropriate credentialed people creating the information. And you wouldn't want a mechanic giving advice on the hymen. And you wouldn't want me giving advice on oil changes. So just look for the appropriate um, credentials when you're looking at a, at a website or TikTok account. Absolutely. No, for sure. I think that that's super important because we can utilize all these social media platforms, but it's really about who's actually putting this content out. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a great analogy to use because some people, as you said, might not be comfortable having these conversations, but if they can at least point their children in an easy and accessible direction, like, mm -hmm. you know, your TikTok or like an Instagram page um, where they could maybe DM um, an account or something like that and have that opportunity. I think that that's a great way to kind of start the conversation and maybe not even facilitate it on your own. Maybe get someone that's able to because yeah. uh, God bless my mother. But if she was trying to give me sex ed, it just it didn't know. happen. And I, I don't blame her. Like she wasn't yeah. taught it. Her mother wasn't taught it. So it's not necessarily the fault of the parents. It's just having that openness and availability to just validate and then direct them. Um, mm -hmm. But I am so glad you decided to come on the podcast. It was so great having you. Um, do you want to kind of shamelessly plug all of your social medias and tell people what you're doing? Because I definitely think you're the number one resource. I'm sending my children to you in, you know, oh. like 10, 15 years, but like, 
you know, <laughs> knock on wood, like, thank God I know what I'm doing. But, you know, in a long time, you're going to get some special messages. Um, oh, I love it. But oh. yeah, tell people what you're up to. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I think what you're doing is also pretty darn remarkable. Um, but I, and, and I have to say, those are my biggest compliments is when parents say, like, I sent this video to my kid to watch, or I've made my kids subscribe <laughs> to your TikTok account, which is mortifying um, for them, I'm sure, but I'm super flattered. Um, but yeah, so my, again, this is, I am just feeling this out as I go, but I have started, um, I obviously I have this TikTok platform, Ask Dr. T, and I am now branching out into YouTube and trying to make this uh, some more longer format uh, pieces of, of video for, for teams to learn from and adults, whoever wants to, whoever wants to watch and listen. But um, I'm, what I've been doing is just taking questions and you can send me questions through my TikTok uh, DMs or my Instagram. Um, the best way to get me a question is actually, well, either on the comments on YouTube or um, you can go to my website, askdrt.net, and it's all spelled out, A-S-K, doctor spelled out, and then T. Um, and I have just been answering questions for six months straight. Every, I, I have not had to make up a single question every Everything I post about, someone has asked, and that's what I will continue to try to do. Um, and we'll see how long this goes. But I, I hope that I'm not everybody loves what I'm doing because I'm talking about the same for you, talking about some things that really are a little taboo. But these are real questions that that are teenagers have and and I want to continue to treat them with respect like young adults and get them the right information so that they can make the right decisions on their own rather than us telling them what they should or shouldn't be doing they can make well-informed decisions and and that's what I'm going to keep doing no absolutely I I love every single thing you do and you know I definitely think that we underestimate children a lot and we need to give them the power and authority to make their own decisions about their own bodies. Um, and to be completely frank, we haven't been doing that great of a job. Uh, look where we are now. So it's like, yeah. realistically, I don't think anyone's, um, you know, able to tell us what we should and shouldn't do as long as we're providing accurate and science-based information. Right. Um, we're pretty much giving people what they need. Um, and we spoke about it earlier about kind of the um, issues that arise when you negate talking about these subjects. So I really right. think that it's a huge like systematic problem and it's super ingrained in our society. But you know what, whenever you're doing something, someone's going to critique it. So that you know. is also very <laughs> true. You're gonna, you're gonna upset someone, but if you believe in what you're doing and I believe in what you're doing, I believe in what I'm doing. Um, and I know a lot of other people do too. So we're just, we're sharing accurate information. We're uh, respecting and acknowledging the natural curiosity that we have as human beings and providing the right answers. No, for sure. And 
I, I just wanted to thank you again for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And I just want to reiterate, everyone can find you at Ask Dr. T. Yes. Spelt out. Okay, yes. perfect. Uh, that'll all be linked in, you know, all of our socials once the episode's out. But I just wanted to thank you again for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much again, Dr. T. Make sure to check us out on Instagram at Ladies Let's Talk About Sex for more information about upcoming episodes. And make sure to subscribe to the Ladies Let's Talk About Sex podcast on whatever platform you're using to get notifications for our upcoming episodes. They come out every Monday. So we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.